Thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, we're a little, I think, earlier than what I said, but, uh, but right, can you continue on that thought? We were talking about Bitcoin, we were talking about inflation, and we we're just talking about the general price increasing of goods, and, and, and you had some thoughts on that. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the interest-free money that has been uh, saving the economy uh, for a few years, uh, I think last, uh, at the end of the fall of 2019, it was uh, reaching the point where uh, just free money uh, uh, loans uh, wasn't enough. Uh, they had to figure out some way to uh, radically uh, change things, uh, bringing on the the pandemic or, or more wars or, or something was uh, needed. Uh, and uh, I, I think the, uh, the, the, um, the basic uh, universal income is going to be phased in gradually with these I think the checks to the public are going to get more often until finally it's like everyone is on a pension and that will make savings worthless and I see that as once you have everyone basically on a a pension uh, uh, plus inflation that has uh, destroyed any kind of savings, <clears throat> uh, then you have people under control because uh, then you can just change change their pension at will. And, and you had a specific time frame. You sp- you just said four to five years, and so that's actually pretty useful to know. I feel like what what makes you think four to five years? Uh, just the rate of uh, increasing inflation uh, over the last two years or so. And then we talked about it a little. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, one of the uh, websites you mentioned, Zero Hedge, they keep talking about inflation and, um, and you know, they keep saying, oh, maybe people should start buying gold. But then I remember that up until the 1964, the government had actually prohibited people from owning gold. Do you, do you think something like that can happen again? Um. Well, there won't be enough gold. It's already tending to disappear like like the U.S. won't give back national gold that they were supposedly storing because it just isn't there. And people have been investing in paper gold, and I think there just isn't enough real gold uh, left for uh, the price will just go up if it isn't artificially held down like the government has been doing. Uh, so uh, uh, the uh, the price of gold uh, will go up, but uh, there, there just isn't enough real gold to uh, to work as money anymore. Remember the senator Ron Paul, the former senator. He for decades he kept saying there is no gold at Fort Knox. They refuse to allow me to do an inspection. They like they they keep doctoring the paperwork. We don't have uh, we have only one percent of the physical gold that the United States actually claims that that it does. Do you think there's any truth to that? Um, yeah, some uh, Germany and Venezuela, for example, were uh, asking uh, to get their gold that had been uh, stored for them in the U.S., 
I, I haven't heard, but uh, I was uh, paying attention to it for a while, and uh, the, the U.S. was simply stonewalling. Yeah, do you think there's any that may be one of the reasons why countries like Russia and China are rapidly increasing their physical gold reserves, pre preparing for the devaluation of the dollar, basically becoming worthless? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And we talked about it a little bit, but the the idea behind Bitcoin is that it's like finite. There's a limited amount, and then some people are saying it's like uh, it's a lot better than gold, and and it seems to be gaining some institutional support. But you think this is just some some kind of misdirection? I think so. It, 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 actually, there is nothing existing. It's a, a belief system, and right now the, the the changing beliefs about it have made some people very rich. But buying a small amount put skyrocketed in in price. But uh, since it's basically a psychological currency, uh, I think it can be manipulated out of existence whenever uh, the, the world powers decide to. And so, in your view, is there any way to hedge your bets against the next four or five years of, of things getting re really rough, monetarily-wise? Uh, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> If you have uh, some land uh, in a place that is survivable, uh, enough water uh, to support yourself uh, and some goats and chickens uh, and, and to grow some uh, vegetables, uh, then uh, everything is good until uh, uh, some, some uh, mobsters or governments decide to confiscate your land. So people people accuse uh, Georgia and I of being kind of um, they call it like a doomer on this subject. But but when we talk to you, it really seems like things are not going to pick up anytime soon, and they're just going to get a lot a lot worse. And I know you choose your words very carefully, and you think about these subjects a lot. And and even I imagine you wouldn't even want to say things would get bad just because that might be put somebody in a kind of a learned helplessness situation. But, and I, and also I was reading some Lenin quotes and I think he has a quote about saying, uh, you're like a true friend to somebody if you actually tell them the truth rather than sugarcoating it or, or, or something like that. So what, what is your perspective on that? Um, uh, yeah, the, the, there is a way out uh, and that is for uh, everyone or, or uh, at least half of the population to wake up and actually think about things instead of the prejudices that they've been taught since childhood. If they just start questioning basically every word in their language and thinking, why do I think this? And then looking at what the uh, the absence of fat in their belief system implies uh, that that could lead uh, to people asking questions. Uh, what can we do about the situation in which a few thousand people are deliberately destroying everyone's livelihood, uh, making them 
rapidly more more dependent uh, and uh, threatening uh, bigger and bigger wars uh, to keep people fearful. Uh, if millions of people start thinking about what can be done, uh, then naturally uh, uh, basic intelligence is going to come up with some ideas. What about the tactic of uh, Gandhi, like nonviolent, non-cooperation? Do you think if a sufficient number of people simply re refuse to participate in the system, that will be enough to cripple it? Uh, uh, yeah, at some point, uh, if if there are enough people, <clears throat> what would be a um, you know a few things that that would really uh, you know uh, put a dent into the system, like maybe refusing to participate in social media, um, you know, refusing to buy things online, maybe. Um, yeah, uh, just absolute uh, withdrawal uh, from all of the stupid uh, imposed. Uh, digital systems uh, uh, don't buy anything uh, from Amazon. Uh, uh, don't express your opinions on Facebook, <laughs> uh, which would require you meeting people physically, which would you know quickly end the pandemic restrictions. Because if everybody decides to meet others, you just can't lock them all up. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that, that's why people are. Uh, ordered not to meet in, in groups bigger than five or ten. Uh, that uh, used, used to be uh, uh, called sedition if you had uh, five or six people gathering together uh, on the street to talk about politics. Was, was there an actual law like that in Britain or in the U.S.? Uh, oh, oh in, in England at different times uh, when they were very worried about the the French or American revolutions spreading. Wow, so this has some, some serious historical roots. You know, it didn't come out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Well, at the risk of uh, uh, bumming everybody out, I do want to talk more about this, but I do want to jump into your newsletter, Ray. Um, okay, let me scroll down here really quickly. Okay, so you have a new newsletter. We talked about your newsletter last time, but this one's called Inflammation, Adaptation, and Aging. And I'll, similar to last time, what, what was your motivation specifically for writing this? You, it, this seems to connect very closely to the last few newsletters that you've been reading, uh, writing rather. Uh, uh, yeah, <clears throat> and it's a step to the next one, uh, which will be how our purpose and intentionality relate to development and inflammation and aging. Uh, and uh, this is just... Um, uh, making the connections between uh, heredity, uh, adaptation, uh, aging, and inflammation, uh, and disease resistance. Can we get a? Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, uh, bringing bringing in the, uh, uh, the the fact that the perfect environment is intrauterine, and then various things can go wrong. Uh, after birth, uh, if you're in a hospital, especially, they uh, can uh, uh, intensify everything uh, uh, that ordinarily would take 50 or 60 years to go wrong. They can do it in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, but <clears throat> it's uh, uh, showing the 
historical uh, uh, continuity between uh, uh, stress adaptation uh, and uh, uh, the immune system or developmental system uh, that, that uh, goes wrong in aging. It, it's really popular in the like the health world to say, oh, that's because of inflammation, or oh, that's because of inflammation. Like, and and it's never really nailed down what inflammation is. So, what what in your perspective, how how do you even define that? It's it's what a healthy person uh, who catches, for example, uh, the COVID virus does not experience. Uh, their immune system makes them totally unaware that uh, they're has been a virus in their body because the body is so multiply complexly designed not to go wrong, not to experience inflammation. It has to be a sick and dying person to get in trouble from uh, uh, such a thing as as a minor uh, virus or, or bacteria. Uh, w- once you're sick, uh, then uh, the uh, uh, you're already in a, an inflamed state, and in that inflamed state, uh, 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 one or more uh, viruses uh, is just another uh, uh, pro pro-inflammatory degenerative factor. But a healthy person uh, handles uh, uh, resistance and immunity uh, without even noticing it. Uh, so uh, the, the degree of inflammation that you experience uh, with a wound or exposure uh, to irritants and so on uh, uh, corresponds to your state of health. If one is deficient in PUFA, is it even possible to experience a significant inflammatory reaction? Uh, uh, yeah, the experiments uh, with uh, just rats uh, on a PUFA-free diet, uh, a so-called essential fatty acid-free diet, uh, uh, all kinds of uh, tests, uh, uh, poisons, uh, physical trauma, uh, uh, disease uh, infectious agents, uh, they're just tremendously resistant to uh, inflammation and dying. Uh, uh, something as, as crude as uh, holding them by the tail and whacking them on the furniture. <laughs> uh, uh, if they've been eating a standard fatty acid, a proof-of-rich diet, uh, they go into shock and inflammation and die. If they don't have a noticeable amount of proof in their tissues, they they are very tough. I just want to see the the ethical committee that approved this this experiment. The description is we're going to be whacking rats on furniture. So basically, without proof, most of the inflammatory reaction is gone. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, right, right. Uh, it the, the proof form uh, many. Uh, Many things leading to inflammation, but just the prostaglandins are a very powerful amplifier of inflammation. Some little thing like hypoglycemia can start the formation of prostaglandins, and then once it starts, 
uh, all kinds of things, uh, cytokines and and uh, circulatory changes and such get involved. Right. And then the leukotrienes and, and all the other things that are derived from PUFA? Uh, yeah. Okay. C- could you say something like the moment lactic acid is released out of the cell or something, that's, that's the beginning of inflammation, or is it much more complex than that? I, I, yeah, a, a shift away from from oxidation of the PUFA will inhibit the ability to oxidize glucose. And at that moment, you're experiencing a reductive stress or pseudo-hypoxia, some people call it. The oxygen is there, but you aren't using it. Uh, and that turns on uh, lactic acid, which uh, represents a, a reductive state, an excess uh, of electrons, uh, and uh, uh, that transmits uh, the reductive stress uh, wherever it goes, uh, tends to convert uh, other cells uh, to that same stress state. And uh, something in your, or speaking of reductive stress and like the lack of oxygen, maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves here, but the, the stem cell renewal and, and the, the aspect of the, what you wrote about um, the loss of stem cells. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, was, when, when you uh, stop oxidizing uh, glucose because of uh, either low thyroid or uh, uh, some poison like uh, 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 nitric oxide, uh, or uh, PUFA uh, or carbon monoxide, uh, the the enzymes uh, simply uh, stop uh, reacting uh, 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 glucose and its derivatives uh, with oxygen, and so uh, the uh, oxygen is still diffusing in from your bloodstream, but it's not being consumed, uh, and so the uh, animal that is uh, failing uh, its respiration is actually becoming hyperoxic in the vicinity uh, of uh, those poison cells. Uh, and so uh, uh, hyperoxia uh, uh, is toxic to the mitochondria uh, and uh, changes uh, uh, the functions of the stem cell. Uh, It's one of the things that uh, brings stem cells out of their quiescent state and uh, starts them uh, dividing so that uh, in an injury situation uh, where the cell is going to die because it isn't oxidizing glucose, uh, the stem cells can take over and and replace the dead uh, poison cell. Uh, But if the cell doesn't get out of the way, then the hyperoxia that has activated the stem cells is going to keep the multiplication going and produce a tumor. But if it is continuously in great excess, then you... Uh, start depleting the stem cells, uh, and then you have have no renewability of that tissue. 
Uh, so <clears throat> uh, hyperoxia uh, is an outcome of, of blocking the use of, of oxygen. And so, it's a, in the health- so is uh, carbon dioxide, the, P, the intracellular pH, is that the major signal for apoptosis of a, of a, a aberrant cell and also the signal for the stem cells to start differentiating? Uh, uh, the, the failure uh, uh, to produce carbon dioxide, yeah. Right. So, so that's the so the presence of it will will allow the the aberrant cell to commit suicide, basically to apoptosis. Uh, yeah, yeah. Its pH goes up, uh, uh, activating its its own uh, tendency to undergo cell division, uh, and uh, then if there's uh, no no glucose uh, available because it's being wasted. Uh, th- then that would be the normal thing that kills the cell. Is that one mechanism through which the acetazolamide drug helps re- uh, shrink the tumors? Basically, I, I think so. the- yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, previously, you've been asked uh, about like stem cell therapy, and I and I don't want to misquote you, but you said something like, "I think we're a, a big bag of stem cells," and so it's more of like the environment uh, of those stem cells than like just adding a bunch more into the system. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't think uh, the, the idea of taking them out of one place and putting them in another is going to do much, if anything. If you said that the intrauterine environment is basically the ideal environment for an organism, then by extension, once we're, uh, once the organism is being born into this world, then if we want to maintain the same level of optimal health, we should live in an environment that mimics the intrauterine one, which is with a lot of glucose and a lot of carbon dioxide. Is that right? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, and uh, on, a, on a high mountain uh, with a supply of, of good fruit, for example, uh, your oxygen tension is lower uh, at high altitude, uh, closer to uh, the fetal uh, oxygen availability. Uh, and uh, uh, if if you're healthy enough to adapt to high altitude, then your CO2 level internally uh, goes up uh, and prevents the uh, uh, hyperventilation uh, increase of pH inside cells that, that kills them or ages them. Is there like an optimal range of altitude? Because clearly, you know, just climbing on, up on top of Mount Everest, just to give an extreme example, that wouldn't be healthy. So it's got to be something more, more um, I don't know, reasonable? Uh, yeah, uh, 8 to 12,000 feet, I think is good. Okay. Uh, going back a little bit on our chat about inflammation, uh, is oxidative stress and inflammation, are those synonymous or interchangeable terms, rather? Um, no, uh, they usually talk about oxidative stress as making uh, free radicals. Uh, uh, but uh, the thing that turns that on is often uh, uh, a block to the ability to use oxygen. Uh, And uh, so uh, the the traditional use of oxidative stress uh, uh, has been pretty confused, uh, uh, defining it as just uh, pretty much equivalent to uh, lipid peroxidation and free radical damage. 
Do you know who came up with this term oxidative stress? Because when I read the actual studies, at least the more modern versions, they a lot of people are angry in those studies by saying, look, we're administering a drug that blocks the electron transport chain complex and creates oxidative stress. So this term is completely bogus <laughs> and wrong, yet it still carries on. Somebody must have coined this cultural term and, and supported it throughout the years in order for it to be so powerful. Uh, yeah, I think it goes back to Raymond Pearl. Uh, uh, and uh, Johns Hopkins, a uh, bunch of reductionists, uh, 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 basically an anti-life thing that uh, the slower you live, uh, uh, the longer you live. Uh, 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 cooling off uh, and being half dead, uh, according to that view, is the way to live longer. Uh, and uh, uh, Leonard Hayflick uh, uh, was in that uh, uh, line of thinking, uh, uh, just the, the most absurd and mechanical uh, view of what life is. He, even though he worked for a big uh, cell culture company, he didn't have the faintest idea about how to do proper cell culture. It was their goal was just to produce cells to sell them, uh, and he didn't uh, realize that. Uh, growing 50 generations in a, in a dish is not at all uh, comparable to uh, uh, the living state in an organism. Uh, uh, just uh, people fell for that uh, shortening telomere idea that cells necessarily uh, every division uh, shorten their telomere. Uh, and uh, have a maximum division uh, uh, capability of 50 cell divisions. Uh, and uh, back in the 60s, uh, people tested that uh, and showed that our skin and intestine, for example, uh, uh, would use up those 50 cell divisions of our stem cells in just a few weeks or months. Uh, and that uh, uh, grafting experiments f found that different organs, uh, like mammary glands, uh, could uh, uh, undergo essentially an infinite number of cell divisions uh, when they're in an organism, uh, uh, supporting uh, uh, the uh, Rockefeller University uh, experiments uh, 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 of growing chicken heart cells uh, keeping them alive for more more than 20 years uh, uh, just by uh, renewing their uh, their uh, environmental solution properly uh, not letting accumulate uh, uh, elastic acid accumulate do you think some of those uh, ideas of the uh, uh, rate of living theory may have been inspired by the uh, uh, second law of thermodynamics and the, the steam presses from the England's uh, Industrial Revolution saying, like, if you keep your machines cooler, they will last longer. Exactly. It's all mechanical thinking. And that mechanical thinking, like N.A. Kozurev, looking at, at the history of, of these physical ideas, showed that it was a belief Basically, it, in a big bang uh, creationist uh, university uh, universe, uh, that uh, uh, those ideas—if you believe uh, there was a, a creation of the universe in one moment—then uh, you can 
uh, uh, deduce uh, that one uh, one directional uh, 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 running down of the universe, uh, the, uh, the the cosmic uh, or the, uh, uh, the the idea of a, 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 a what do they call it a, a, a watchmaker, right. a god who set the universe clock in motion. Uh, all a clock can do, uh, if God wound it up at one point, uh, is uh, run until it, it loses the wind-up energy. And so the universe, uh, uh, from that religious uh, viewpoint, can do nothing but run down. Uh, and uh, 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 N.A. Kozirov uh, showed that uh, uh, if you don't make those religious assumptions, uh, then... Uh, you can explain the uh, stellar uh, uh, energy source, uh, the fact that uh, all of the planets have an internal uh, production of energy. Even the giant gaseous planets turn out uh, to be uh, uh, producing uh, internal energy like a like a an incipient star developing. So I guess the, the the all these people, the 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 religious fanatics, they saw they observed that time passes forward, and the way they explained it was with the Big Bang and the unwinding of the clock, instead of the opposite, which is I guess the Kozarev idea of the continuous creation, which is that uh, we're actually creating. We, there's more time as time goes by because time is a property of matter. Uh, right, right, uh, and even Fred Sadi, the, the the inventor of the isotope. Uh, uh, interpretation of atoms. Uh, even he, in uh, one of his later books, uh, 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 described uh, uh, his thinking uh, for uh, uh, continuous creation. Uh, he believed cosmic rays uh, were uh, the atoms just coming into existence. Okay. So, so basically, time. And, and space are essentially both are properties of this prima matter, which Aristotle talked about, the pure potential. Does, does that ring, ring true? Yep. Okay. Uh, jumping back to your uh, newsletter, Ray, and I apologize. I know you've talked about this 100,000 million times, uh, but like the, the idea that um, tissue injury kind of invites the virus or the bacteria or the fungus and it's not; it's, they're not necessarily harmful in and of themselves. Is that correct? And mm -hmm. then I, I feel like you probably c can't talk about that enough th today. You know, this, uh, at this uh, time. Uh, yes, yeah. and, and uh, I'm in this newsletter uh, suggesting the uh, probability that the so-called viruses are uh, little packets of uh, nuclear uh, material being exchanged. Throughout the world, by every organism, uh, bacteria do it uh, visibly, uh, transmitting uh, the, the uh, information that they invented themselves to their friends. Uh, and uh, every organism you look at is actually circulating uh, uh, exosomes, packets of information within themselves uh, in a repair and regenerative process, but all of their body fluids contain those same exosomes, 
and are being released into the environment constantly. Uh, and so every organism uh, is emitting uh, these packets that are virus-like in structure. The, if, if an inflamed cell has an abundance of electrons because its metabolism is being blocked by something, um, could a viral or bacterial infection act as a sort of like an emergency electron sink in some fashion? Uh, yeah, uh, when the, the system is, is working well, uh, I, I think that's going on all the time. Uh, uh, you can transmit actual mitochondria uh, in those packets. What kind of exosomes and what kind of things would people be emitting when they they actually do take the vaccine? Like, is a, a question I've been asked many times is, if a person gets the vaccine, are they actually more, um, like, are they harmful to be around? Uh, you think? Uh, uh, yeah, the, uh, the the purpose uh, of the adjuvant, uh, which uh, had always been uh, uh, aluminum hydroxide, uh, was to create systemic inflammation. Uh, to stir up uh, uh, excitement, uh, so that your your body would start making antibodies to uh, an- anything uh, novel that was present, uh, and uh, they uh, talk about the lipids uh, in these RNA vaccines uh, as uh, transport or. Uh, uh, mediators uh, of cellular uptake uh, for the RNA, but uh, actually they're the same lipids that have been promoted for use uh, as uh, uh, adjuvant. Uh, so they're just a lipid uh, uh, version of an adjuvant intended to create systemic uh, uh, inflammation big enough uh, to get you uh, uh, to produce uh, uh, antibodies. Uh, and uh, the antibody-producing system uh, is, uh, I, I don't think it's properly uh, uh, considered uh, to, to be part of the immune system. Uh, it's, uh, the, the whole process should be maintenance of our uh, uh, structural uh, functional system, uh, and the antibodies uh, are part of a cleanup uh, uh, system. Uh, uh, you, you have, for example, uh, uh, natural killer cells uh, that will uh, damage, uh, remove damaged cells, killing them uh, so the parts can be removed. Uh, and uh, when you have a, a, a tissue that uh, isn't quite ready uh, to have the natural killer cells uh, destroy the uh, damaged uh, substance. Uh, you have uh, a- antibodies that are um, uh, helping to mop up and control uh, and prepare, uh, clean up the area so that phagocytes uh, uh, can uh, remove the debris and uh, re- restore some of the cells uh, to normal functioning without having to kill them. So if somebody was vaccinated, would that be would that be risky to be around them? Or uh, uh, yeah, uh, being around sick people, uh, inflamed people, uh, I think always has uh, more risk. Uh, in, in the winter, uh, people going indoors, uh, staying indoors, uh, and breathing the, the same air. Uh, uh, once one person. 
uh, is under stress, they're going to be putting out more more exosomes. And if their exosomes uh, uh, happen to be uh, uh, coming out of stressed cells rather than uh, the normal uh, low oxygen uh, stem cell sources, uh, then their exosomes uh, can be irritating and uh, spread their inflammation. What about Do you think that might explain why nurses working in um, hospitals, specific hospital wards, uh, in general, medical personnel that spend a lot of time uh, with those sick people tend to, uh, uh, you know, come down with similar conditions if they spend years in in those same wards. I, I think so. And you and you describe like maybe a person being around you, but what happens when a population? It's like I, I guess we're already in a sick population, so can it be that much worse if if everybody is vaccinated and uh, I don't know spreading and exchanging yeah. with these inflammatory materials? I, I think uh, everything the, uh, the the medical system is doing tends to degrade degrade the whole population a little. Speaking of degrading the whole population, so, uh, Ray, somebody you've mentioned uh, on previous shows was Mike Yudon, who's a former Pfizer VP and chief science officer. And a topic that, you know, you and I, I think, first talked about this in 2017, and I know you've been studying it for a lot longer than that. But he said, uh, it's my considered view that it's entirely possible that coronavirus vaccines will be used for for massive-scale depopulation. And so, given your insights of of how these things are formulated or how they're said to be formulated, do you think he might be onto something there? Uh, oh, oh, yeah, uh, uh, the possibility is there. Uh, and when you look at the uh, the lying, uh, deliberate uh, 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 breaking of the law uh, of high government officials, uh, World Health Organization, CDC. Uh, and uh, the top levels of uh, foundations like the Gates Foundation, uh, uh, you, you see them deliberately misleading the population. Uh, 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 I think it is odd to, to uh, assume that they uh, wouldn't be uh, trying to execute uh, what they've expressed as their long-range goals, population reduction. Uh, since they have the means now, uh, and since they're, uh, they've demonstrated that they are morally corrupt, and uh, basically uh, uh, profiting uh, from uh, misleading the public uh, uh, to to assume that they're not criminal on, on multiple levels, uh, I think would be a mistake. And this is something we've talked about. This is like a, uh, I'm using like air quotes right here, but like an open conspiracy. It's like the culture of the Pentagon and the CIA and the WEF and all the WHO and C- CDC, all these institutions. It's like depopulation isn't a, a radical idea. It's just kind of the status quo. <laughs> and it's not, mm-hmm. it's not like, uh, it's not an insane idea among the people that, populate these institutions but when you say when you talk to somebody off the street oh they want to depopulate it's like what no they that's impossible they how can they do that you know there's so many uh, like immediate objections to that but i don't it's but what we've talked about before it's not controversial at all among uh, those people that i just mentioned 
Uh, uh, yeah, and uh, that attitude is exactly what you need uh, to keep them uh, uh, as not believing that it's possible while it's going on. Didn't Kissinger state as far back as, as the 70s that the basically there can be only one destiny for the third world, and that is extermination at the hands of the powers that be, of the Western powers? Um, uh, yeah, I think that uh, policy was basically decided uh, uh, when Roosevelt died. Uh, uh, Roosevelt and Wendell Wilkie had a meeting uh, and decided uh, on uh, uh, post-war policy of uh, uh, bringing the third world uh, up to uh, the rest of of society, uh, making them independent and affluent, uh, prosperous. And uh, right after the meeting, uh, Wilkie died unexpectedly of a cold. (laughs) And then uh, the uh, uh, following uh, uh, Alan Dulles's treason, uh, b- before uh, within uh, just a few days of of the uh, re- revelation that uh, Dulles and the whole organization uh, were working with the Nazis, uh, Roosevelt died in a very timely way, uh, and immediately uh, the policies towards the third world. Uh, changed radically uh, from uh, giving the equivalent of, of a Marshall Plan uh, to bring up uh, all of the third world countries uh, to a good standard of living. That immediately changed uh, back to the uh, empire of, of exploiting them to death. Uh, Stalin saw what happened to Roosevelt, didn't buy for a second what the official story was, and that would that explain why the, the Soviet Union became much more hardline afterwards? He realized what he's up against? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and, and even some of Roosevelt's uh, relatives uh, 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 agreed with Stalin uh, that uh, it was uh, uh, an assassination. So, uh, speaking of assassination, <laughs> Ray, do you want to comment on John Magu Fuli uh, and the very likelihood that he was killed in some way? The the t- oh, Tanzanian uh, president, he, African he president. The, he was the second uh, African president who uh, had uh, opposed vaccinations, who died suddenly. And do you think the first one was Mugabe, the Zimbabwean, or no? I, I, I forget the. the previous one just just a few months before, uh, but they were both uh, very antagonistic to the World Health Organization uh, and and the vaccine campaigns. Because African Americans are woke to Western medical intervention, you think? <laughs> uh, uh, probably more than than other countries because uh, uh, they've they've had uh, more horrible experiences. What like this is uh, this is uh, mind blowing to me, but to you, this is just like <laughs> this has been happening forever. <laughs> these like just uh, people, just uh, these very critical people of the establishment, just passing away instantaneously. And I doubt there's going to be any uh, BLM marches or anything about uh, the death of uh, Mago Fuli. Uh, no, I haven't heard uh, very much public uh, discussion of it. 
Okay, well, we'll continue this chat. Let me do an advertisement here really quickly. So we're discussing Ray's newsletter, which you can is available by email now. It's $28 US, and you can send that to Peets with an S, newsletter at gmail.com. You can also order books by Ray, the, his Generative Energy book, 19, uh, 1994, from PMS to Menopause. Um, when was that written, Ray? Oh, oh um, in the... Early 80s, I think it was. 80s, and then Nutrition for Women, 1973, and then Mind and... I'm blanking on Mind and Tissue, too. When, when, when was that written? Uh, uh, 1973 was when I wrote Mind and Tissue a little before Nutrition for Women, I think. Uh, okay, so you can send that email address and the name of the book, and I still have the wrong prices on here, so they should be cheaper. Uh, and then, which like last time, I just wanted to mention ProGesty from uh, Kenogen, and you can email Catherine at Kenogen. I'm saying it wrong. Kenogen at gmail.com. Uh, for and each bottle is 300, uh, 3,400 milligrams of progesterone. Uh, and Ray, uh, just want to maybe comment on your thoughts on ProGesty. <laughs> uh, 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 more men are, are starting to use it, uh, uh, and uh, you've probably heard the. Uh, result of the uh, injecting, uh, uh, I think it was micronized progesterone uh, uh, subcutaneously in men uh, who were infected seriously with uh, COVID. Yeah, yeah, we talked about uh, it a little uh, bit last time. A study uh, ended and, and was published finally uh, that it did uh, improve their survival. Uh, so uh, that is increasing the interest of, of men. Uh, in using it, uh, I had probably discouraged uh, men for a long time uh, when I described uh, how, how a big dose of it is like a cold shower uh, and shrinks the penis, but uh, that effect uh, passes uh, in about one or two days. So uh, 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 with the proper dosing, it actually increases libido uh, and uh, it keeps testosterone from being wasted and turned into estrogen. Uh, so it's uh, actually a very important part of the of male system. I, I'm actually glad you brought that up. So we have a large 20s, 30s, 40s male listenership. You know what? Uh, so one, how much progesterone does a healthy male make? And then I know this is extremely individual, but is there any way to go about uh, dosing progesterone for a male? And like, what should they expect when they use it? Uh, the um, basic mechanism is uh, that, that it promotes, a given dose promotes its own synthesis in the body. And uh, partly that's because it uh, facilitates the secretion of thyroid hormone, uh, which uh, is, is part of the conversion uh, of uh, cholesterol to progesterone, uh, and partly uh, because it uh, inhibits the uh, enzyme aromatase uh, that converts uh, androgens to estrogen, uh, uh, and uh, it, it uh, uh, supports uh, the uh, uh, in internal system of uh, getting the vitamin A and thyroid together with the cholesterol so that often during pregnancy, if 
a woman is seriously deficient in progesterone, one single big dose will sometimes set the uh, pregnancy back on the normal course of uh, producing progesterone at an increasing rate uh, for the full nine months. Uh, sometimes it takes two uh, injections, but the principle is that uh, when when you get the right amount uh, at, at one moment, uh, your thyroid and uh, gonads and skin and brain, uh, everything uh, gets back on the track uh, to produce enough of your own progesterone. Uh, so it isn't a hormone replacement matter, matter but it's a, a, a stress a, a correction a, a process. Uh, you stop the, the stress, uh, and uh, if you're well-nourished, uh, the organism gets back to its production. I have a question. I get a lot of questions from parents who want who want to or are considering using Progest-E in children, do you have any reservations, misgivings about giving little children progesterone in progest specifically? Uh, uh, very uh, premature uh, uh, babies, uh, are the, their brain growth is protected, uh, at, sort of like uh, uh, imitating intrauterine conditions uh, to give them a little uh, progesterone for the first uh, few months of their life uh, to uh, keep the brain uh, developing, uh, and uh, uh, that uh, probably can be uh, beneficial uh, if there has been stress, uh, so that they had some uh, uh, deficiency of progesterone. Uh, that could be a continued uh, 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 right up through uh, all of the time uh, breastfeeding uh, is going on. If the mother uh, normalizes her progesterone. It, uh, progesterone level of the milk uh, will be uh, adequate, uh, and that will help the baby's brain develop. Uh, but uh, if you uh, uh, give it to a, a boy uh, just as their uh, uh, puberty is coming on, uh, you potentially, uh, by giving too much for too long, uh, you you could delay their uh, 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 development uh, uh, sexually, probably. Uh, I, I don't know if that ever happening, but uh, I think it's it's good to think of it as a, a restorative, uh, starting up uh, uh, support uh, rather than a, a continuing maintenance. Okay. The specific questions I'm getting is that a lot of parents are concerned that during the pregnancy the mother was under stress, uh, was you know received vaccines was working really hard. So basically they're saying now their children that are born and becoming three, four, five years old, they're seeing some signs that are indicative of a stress imprint. Like the child is gaining weight and while the parents are normal weight, the child is getting is having food allergies while the parents don't have them. And um, some of them have had really good success with Progest E um, and they keep asking me questions. Are there any concerns about using Progest E sporadically on a child that's small in terms of, aside from delaying puberty, uh, would there be a problem in terms of somehow imbalance, disbalance in their hormonal status if it's used for you know a few months or, or so? Uh, uh, no, uh, uh, it's possible to uh, uh, suppress uh, the formation of, of testosterone if you take really big doses, but uh, uh, when you do it by symptoms, uh, uh, 
five or ten milligrams a day uh, can uh, alleviate symptoms. Uh, sometimes one dose of, of 20 milligrams uh, can uh, just cure the, the problem and doesn't have to be repeated. But you, you should always go by uh, the uh, watching the effects of it because they they are very obvious when you're having progesterone deficiency symptoms, uh, uh, very similar to uh, low T3 symptoms. Uh, you, you should uh, see the results uh, happening within uh, five or ten minutes or at most an hour. Uh, uh, so you can uh, take, take a drop or two, uh, wait 10 or 15 minutes, and if you still have the symptoms, uh, then you can repeat it. How much, uh, uh, how much progesterone daily do you think a healthy child is producing at that age, like the before the, the teen, the teens, like a child up to a 10 years of age? How much, uh, male or female? Uh, probably uh, uh, somewhere between uh, 10 and 30 milligrams. So that would be essentially up to that would be a good replacement dosage if the parent thinks there's like an issue and they want to try it. Um, uh, yeah, the, the 30 milligrams is a, a very strong dose. Uh, that's the dose that uh, can temporarily shrink a man's penis by uh, blocking uh, testosterone. Uh, but uh, 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 five, five or ten. Uh, milligrams is is uh, usually a, a very uh, adequate corrective anti-stress dose. But for a little girl, it wouldn't be those concerns are not are not present, right? Um, it shouldn't be an issue. Um, uh, no, but I, I just don't think the larger amounts are are necessary because it it stimulates its own uh, uh, corrective production. For a hypothyroid child at that age, do you think progesterone would be safer to try first than jumping directly on thyroid? Um, uh, no, uh, usually I think it's good to uh, use a small amount of thyroid as if you're uh, eating a traditional diet, uh, uh, eating a, a boiled whole fish or, or soup made out of all the parts of, of a a chicken or whatever, uh, that would be giving you uh, maybe a, a half a grain, a fourth to a half a grain of thyroid every day just uh, as part of your meat diet. Uh, and and so there's uh, really that small amount of thyroid should just be a, a standard part of nutrition. Uh, but the, the government... Uh, in the early 1940s uh, re required the uh, meat producers to remove the, the thyroid, uh, setting up a, a situation in which our, our diet is uh, pretty, pretty free of, of the natural amount of thyroid uh, unless you drink a, a large amount of milk. Uh, even cow's milk contains a moderate, helpful amount of thyroid hormone. So, what about fish head soup? They're not removing the thyroid from that, right? I mean, be... uh, uh, right, right. That's, uh, that's uh, if you have a fish market that will include the heads. Uh, Semi-related, but uh, I've been I've been seeing receiving more and more people saying they have uh, kind of like wild experiences with Sinoplus, and so uh, if if somebody did feel like that, would you say to 
try a higher ratio of, t- of T3 to T4? Would you suggest aspirin? Would you suggest progesterone? Um, may- maybe, maybe if they were interpreting the symptoms correctly, it, it being liver related, is, is that something that you, you receive messages about? Uh, uh, yeah, usually the problem is that they uh, uh, don't uh, go at it uh, uh, gradually enough. Uh, 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 the, it should increase gradually uh, over a period of, uh, of two or three months, steadily increasing, uh, uh, watching your temperature and pulse rate uh, and uh, uh, adjusting the dose according to those. Uh, and uh, if you jump right in uh, with what you think uh, uh, is going to be your dose, uh, that's when you're you're more susceptible to uh, uh, building up too much T4. What what about so as we go through time here and as people get progressively sicker and sicker, would you see an issue, uh, a more and more of an issue with a one to four ratio as people get sicker and sicker? Um, I, I've known uh, many people uh, who uh, benefited from uh, going up to about a, a one to two uh, ratio, uh, uh, having having that little bit of of T4 uh, to uh, help hold out down their TSH during the night uh, when it. Uh, uh, Contributes when the T4 when the TSH can contribute to the stress experience. Uh, the bedtime T4 uh, will minimize that, uh, and uh, 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 still they're getting a, a, a good amount of T3, uh, uh, enough that uh, that will keep their blood sugar up so that they don't uh, uh, fail to convert the T4. Great stuff, uh, man! I just had a Blank, I wanted to ask you one other question about this. <laughs> oh, I remember what I was going to say. I have been saying this wrong for 10 years, oh, uh, and you have mentioned it many times. I think because when I go to the Armour website and I'd read what a grain was, it was about like 9 micrograms of T3, maybe 38 micrograms of T4, and so I always thought that was a grain. But now I understand <laughs> that a Sinoplus, like a grain is about, and correct me if I'm wrong, about 12.5 micrograms of T3 and maybe 50 gr- micrograms of T4. And then a, a fourth of a sinoplus is about a half, a little more than half a grain. Is that right? Close to that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, and the uh, the original armor uh, thyroid, uh, uh, the, the ratio uh, in one publication uh, was close to three to one rather than oh, wow. four to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't uh, talk about the amount of, of T4 or T3 uh, they apparently uh, uh, had done it without uh, even knowing uh, the existence of T3 and T- T2 for so long. Uh, they were relying uh, by uh, on testing uh, the biological effects on mice. Uh, every batch, uh, they would mix up uh, thyroids from different cows uh, or or pigs, whichever it was, and they produced both. Uh, you could buy beef or, or pork uh, thyroid from Armour, uh, and the, each of them uh, was uh, batch standardized to give uh, a r- reliable uh, uh, physiological effect uh, on mice. 
so they didn't uh, uh, care uh, what the T4 and T3 uh, content was. It was the biological effect. They were uh, uh, defining their grains uh, on, uh, and they would uh, dilute it uh, accordingly with, with uh, uh, I think, lactose and stearic acid or magnesium stearate to, to glue the tablets together. Great stuff, George. If you don't have a question, uh, maybe we'll take a, a user or why do I keep saying the user question? Like a watcher, listener question. <laughs> okay, well, let me play this one. Let me know if you can hear this right. This one's from Sheila, and it's about children in school. Hey, Doctor Pete. This- you, you can hear that right, right? Yep. Okay. Hey, Doctor Pete. This is Sheila. I have a middle school daughter who is remote learning for about a year now due to um, lockdown restrictions. And she is understandably failing behaviorally and academically. Good grades, but just we're seeing her fade away. And my concern is for me moving forward, trusting what our state offers us and our district offers us uh, academically and how they're going about um, teaching and then in the future, just investing in colleges. And um, I guess what I'm asking is how do I align my expectations with the reality of what the future is going to look like educationally for these children. Thank you. Uh, uh, I, I think the thing is to uh, uh, work work on uh, trying to get the alignment back uh, to the uh, human uh, concept uh, of what education is uh, uh, via a, a computer uh, of uh, not not only uh, a standardized curriculum, uh, but standardized methods uh, and uh, uh, format. Uh, uh, everything is being standardized out of uh, normal human reality. Uh, uh, that just doesn't work in the long run. Uh, uh, you, you, uh, if you if you accept it, uh, then. I think you're uh, 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 strengthening uh, uh, an irrational uh, uh, system. Uh, I think everyone uh, has to start uh, rejecting uh, uh, digital education, or artificial intelligence, uh, as well as standardized curricula. Uh, this is semi-related, but I heard an interesting theory about the mask that they're trying to monopolize like human interaction online. And, and this might be actually completely obvious, but like, like you don't have any normal uh, emotional interaction when you go anywhere or you talk to people. Those are all now on the internet. Is that does that seem reasonable to you? Uh, what the interaction is all on the internet? Yeah, like if I go to the store and now I can't I can't see the people's faces and have kind of like any kind of emotional. Um, interaction with these people and but that's now all on the internet like those interactions are monopolized on the on the internet now 
Uh, uh, yeah, I, I suppose that uh, uh, puts puts people more under the control. Uh, if you start having the wrong kind of interactions, it'll be like uh, the censorship of YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, uh, if they heard everyone uh, under their computers, uh, then they uh, not only know what everyone is doing, but they can weed out the ones who aren't doing it right. <laughs> Speaking of, do you think the lo- the part of the lockdowns was to get everybody in front of a screen and to kind of consume the fake news as it as it is? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the the, uh, the, the whole uh, factory system starting. Uh, 200 years ago uh, uh, was a, a, a way of uh, getting people uh, 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 under a, a central control. Uh, and uh, uh, then gradually they realized that uh, that, that uh, put them together where they had an opportunity to un- unionize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, now the, uh, the shift to the uh, uh, computer communication. Uh, uh, one one of the uh, obvious things it does is to uh, make it possible I- impossible to uh, have direct uh, contact uh, and uh, uh, organize unions. Do you remember? Um, uh, I think it was around uh, 2006 or 2007 when Google uh, was coming up with its like virtual reality glasses, whatever that thing is that they put on their heads. Um, somebody asked one of the founders, like, why would you come up with something like that uh, to mimic reality? Isn't reality, you know, more than enough for us? And the response was, why? who would want to live in this world? Look at how terrible it is. When you put on this virtual reality device, you, you go into a better world, and it's better for you. And basically, you are under, you, ha- you have the entire world under your full control. Um, so they've been kind of working on this for a while now and marketing it the same, along the same lines. Uh, yeah, the, the World Economic Forum people have have said that uh, basically uh, uh, human teachers are uh, doing a, a low quality job of of teaching and communicating, uh, and we can have the best courses uh, in the world. Uh, we can uh, essentially have a monopoly uh, on. Uh, the courses and the curriculum, uh, because we'll we'll choose the best uh, 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 lecturers, uh, put them on uh, artificial intelligence programs. Uh, people can uh, then uh, experience all the best in the world, uh, 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 travel by artificial intelligence, uh, have uh, all of these uh, experiences, uh, which happen to be owned by the monopoly uh, and uh, uh, controlled uh, to uh, uh, reinforce the monopoly, uh, uh, absolutely uh, uh, making any kind of of labor consumer uh, organization impossible. Do you think some of the drive to really destroy the world around us, um, what some, you know, at least part of the impetus maybe to turn people off to the real world around them and drive them towards in mass towards more and more digital uh, embracement? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what uh, Schwab uh, of the World Economic Forum uh, has said, uh, that uh, the sooner we can destroy uh, this old-fashioned legacy economy, 
uh, the uh, sooner people will realize how great it is to uh, buy only uh, online, uh, to study uh, online, uh, to get medical treatment online. Uh, actually has said that uh, uh, Schmidt, formerly of, of uh, Google and the Pentagon, uh, and then uh, advising uh, uh, the New York governor uh, on uh, how wonderful it will be uh, to destroy the the system of uh, actual school buildings <laughs> and uh, uh, hospitals and, and medical clinics and, and have it all done uh, online. Recently, CNN had a front page article saying, uh, with all of the advances of technology, why leave the house at all? And I thought, like, wow, they actually said it. And they had all these arguments, like, why would you why would you go to the grocery store where all these yucky, sweaty, whatnot people are rubbing against you? Like, why would you go to a sports event? Why would you go to the pub? All of these things you can have at your home, fully delivered, right, everything online, and you don't need to leave the house ever again. That was front page news on CNN about two weeks ago. Uh, who, where was it? CNN. It was front page oh. news on CNN. Oh, yeah. One of the uh, uh, most horrible lines uh, of the World Economic Forum people is, uh, you will own nothing, oh, yeah. <laughs> you will rent everything, and you'll be happy. <laughs> Only if you take your happy pills, yeah, because I, I don't know how a normal person will be happy under conditions like that. Uh, yeah. Do you think the governor of New York um, is being used as a scapegoat? thrown under the bus to, like, prevent the discovery of bigger crimes that went on during the, the severe lockdowns? Uh, uh, yeah, he, he's a, 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 a willing a conspirator by, by bringing in uh, uh, Schmidt as, as an advisor. Uh, he, he, uh, I, I don't think is, is a a fair-minded, good person. But now, like the you know, he was he was at the forefront of the pandemic, right? He was he had he was the biggest proponent of the lockdowns. He was on CNN and all the media twenty-four-seven. And now there seems like they're trying to like me to him. In other words, <laughs> all of these accusers came out of nowhere. I mean, I, I don't doubt their stories, but uh, it seems like the establishment is trying to throw him under the bus. And the story is that apparently. Uh, other states like Michigan, Wisconsin, um, uh, Minnesota had like much worse geriatric genocide at the at the uh, elderly care homes, and now they're trying to throw Cuomo under the bus to like sort of like put a lid on the story or at least give the the public um, a scapegoat because if the full story becomes known and how many uh, elderly people were massacred by by basically like uh, you know introducing sick people into their um, into their homes, the people will just revolt. Uh, uh, yeah, they should get rid of him for his actual crimes, uh, but uh, if they can shift the attention uh, to whatever womanizing he was doing, uh, that that's a way to uh, uh, cover up uh, what, what he was actually doing. Uh, Georgie, do you remember, so Georgie and I sometimes trade emails on dark subjects, but something I, I felt like important that Georgie said and that I th it kind of um, opened up my brain was that if if the public knew what these people were actually doing they'd be they'd be hung out in the streets you know and uh,
Mm-hmm. And and so ma- that's why they need to censor everyone and and close down everything because if if people actually knew what the, like we've talked about it before the pedophilia type of things and we were reading really disturbing things um Ray did you are you aware of the finders the CIA project uh, Oh yeah I met the guy What uh, <laughs> uh, 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 he um uh, contacted Blake College and offered uh, to uh, uh, provide uh, buildings uh, for Blake College, uh, and and so I drove uh, to uh, uh, that place near Washington D.C. Uh, and uh, met him, uh, and uh, it was a, a fraud. Basically, uh, he wanted us. He didn't say it. He, he said he would be uh, willing to provide ten, ten uh, adjacent. Uh, buildings uh, for the use of Blake College, but, but then uh, it turned out he uh, wanted us to finance uh, his projects. You're blowing my mind right now. Okay, so was this this was obviously pre them getting caught in the park with those like dirty children or whatever? It, it, you know, uh, yeah, it was 1964. Okay, uh, when I met him, uh, nope. Patty. Is his last name? That was like way before that. Didn't they get caught? Maybe in the nineties or something? Or am I the timeline off? Uh, 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 the kid, kids in the park thing, uh, I think, was uh, in the late eighties, okay, maybe okay. ninety. But, but the thing George and I were uh, like the really disgusting part was the parents offering up their children for and. And so we had read things. as a proof that you're part and it, yeah. you're going to be loyal. Basically, you have to give up your children. Uh, uh, yeah, Th- yeah, that's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I don't really understand what was going on, but definitely they were working for the CIA, and he was definitely a, a sleaze. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. basically, we've, do you think we've reached the point of no of no return? At uh, basically, a sufficient portion of the American public is aware, uh, or at least deeply suspicious of what's going on. So there's no there's no way to bring these people back into the system as believers. So now it's a, basically a, a, a war of who's gonna uh, uh, basically a fight for survival between the the elite and 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 the truly woke. Uh, uh, yeah, and and the truly woke have to get their act together and and uh, stop being so uh, independent anarchist libertarian whatever that doesn't want to organize uh, uh, they've just got to start doing some organizing uh, one last question so uh this is just like the you've had like lots of interactions like secretly not not your secret but like uh, how many times do you think I've, you've had interactions with the CIA, like undercover in different situations? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I've suspected some and had some confirmed, <laughs> but you never know uh, who who else uh, might be uh, 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 actually committed to them. So it looks like the CIA has been violating the act against domestic spying for decades. They basically just don't care, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and my friend uh, who uh, I, I met because uh, I became uh, his surveillance uh, subjects uh, uh, many years later uh, uh, after his wife uh, uh, 
be, being uh, very drunk, uh, asked her uh, what his, what work he was doing, and she said the same as always. And I said, "Oh, what was that?" And she said, "Surveillance." <laughs> he had never mentioned that. So uh, later, I I asked him uh, what group he was working for, CIA or or NSA or or. Uh, Naval intelligence, I think I mentioned. He said, none of those, uh, I'll tell you when I retire. <laughs> well, so. But then he died. I see. So, just a personal question, right? When you go out to these parties, do you drink with these people or, or do you let them get wasted and then you ask your questions? I, I, yeah. No, I don't drink. <laughs> At all? <laughs> Ray, how quickly did you know the finders dude was totally full of it when you were talking to him? How quickly? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 as as soon as uh, as we met, basically. <laughs> what was the what was the tip off? Uh, his uh, 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 sort of greasy manner, right? Uh, uh, and, uh, obviously, uh, no character, uh, uh, just uh, an absolute uh, ball of sleaze. <laughs> I'm glad I brought that up. That's uh, that's really interesting. Okay, let's take another question here. This one's from, I think, Johan. Okay, here we go. Hello, everyone. Hello, Danny, Georgie. Hello, Ray. So I have a question regarding the loss of smell and taste people often seem to experience when getting infected by uh, this new coronavirus. Uh, I have several friends that have tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 during the last year. And these people are young and otherwise pretty healthy in general, and almost all of them have experienced some loss of smell and taste. And some of them have problems maybe seven to eight months later after being ill. Uh, and I read that a study had been done showing that 50 to 80 percent of people that get the virus experience these kinds of problems. And I think this seems to be a real issue, you know. And I'm actually a bit surprised that this doesn't seem to be discussed so much in the health sphere, despite what one may think of the pandemic in general or the restrictions being implemented by different countries. This issue seems to be of some real concern to public health. Uh, you know, the, the people I have talked to suffers from the lack of enjoyment they feel towards food. They lose their appetites, lose weight and so on. And the taste and smell are so important to assess the quality of the foods and drinks that you ingest. So I just wanted to know what are your thoughts on this? Do you think this is some kind of neurological damage going on? Do you think this will be a case of concern for the general public? And yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, colds and influenza have always affected the sense of taste and smell. Uh, sometimes uh, for longer uh, than others, but uh, uh, that, that type of, of respiratory infection, uh, uh, very uh, common symptom was, was uh, loss of those senses. And uh, stress, uh, uh, one of the things that happens in stress is that uh, uh, the uh, metallocyanin protein is increased and it binds uh, uh, necessary uh, essential metals like like zinc and copper, uh, as well as uh, any toxic metals that you're exposed to, uh, and uh, I think the loss of zinc is one of the uh, uh, things affecting 
the sensory apparatus. Uh, it's uh, uh, an essential component of carbonic anhydrase uh, enzyme. Uh, and uh, I, I think that in uh, nerve endings and sensory organs, uh, carbonic anhydrase is important for regulating uh, sensitivity. Uh, and uh, zinc deficiency has been uh, associated closely with with the loss of, of taste. Doesn't it also do, you do you think elevated serotonin has something to do with it as well, considering that um, basically now we know that uh, COVID-19 um, is, uh, at least a very heavy case, the severe case of it are associated with essentially a, a moderate version of a serotonin syndrome, and quite several human studies show that when you give anti-serotonin drugs, there is a remarkable increase in both visual and other acuity. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, and one of the very most frequent symptoms uh, of the COVID uh, infection is diarrhea, uh, and uh, anti-serotonin uh, agents uh, such as ciproheptadine uh, have been uh, very helpful for uh, preventing COVID diarrhea, uh, which, which is uh, uh, undoubtedly a, a part of the serotonin excess problem. Uh, and uh, uh, the hyperventilation syndrome disturbed regulation of oxygen carbon dioxide balance leads to the inability of the platelets to transport serotonin. And so they leak serotonin and increases the systemic activity of serotonin and uh, that that uh, uh, poisons uh, all kinds of systems. So do you think the elevated serotonin may have, in addition to the zinc depletion, do you think the elevated serotonin may have some direct neurotoxic effect that may contribute to the loss of smell and taste? Oh, oh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, and it increases uh, the tendency to, to have blood clots and uh, in, inflammation of, of blood vessels. Yeah, the reason I'm asking is because it's a very common side effect for people taking SSRI drugs to lose uh, a significant portion of their sense of smell or taste. So it seems serotonin does have that direct effect. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned um, suppressing the renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system with vitamin D, but isn't doesn't zinc also have a, a part in that in, in some way, shape, or form? In what system? Doesn't uh, the the RAS, the renin, renin angiotensin, aldosterone s system? Uh, oh, oh, uh, uh, yeah. The, uh, uh, I, I think the, the stress reaction is uh, by deranging your carbonic anhydrase. Mm. That's going to be a basic pro-inflammatory thing. Great stuff. Uh, since we started late, Ray, I'll, I'll let you go uh, very soon. So let, let's take maybe a question or two more, and then we'll call it a night. Uh, but guys, okay. thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us Friday. Thank you, Ray, for making this possible. I apologize for starting late and totally blowing the time on this. All my fault. Uh, Georgie Dinkov, thank you so much, my partner in crime. I sincerely appreciate no it. Okay, let's take um, this one is from uh, Ruth. Okay, here we go. Hi, Dr. Pete. Have you heard Geert van den Bosch's theory of immune escape regarding the COVID 
uh, mRNA vaccines. And if you have, do you have an opinion on it? Thanks. Uh, uh, what was the first part of the question? Actually, actually don't. Uh, some something's immunoscape. Uh, some person's. Um, did you do you know what see. it was, Georgie? <laughs> Can you play it again? Yeah, here we go. Hi, Doctor Pete. Have you heard Git Van den Bosch's theory of immunoscape regarding the Git Git Van den Bosch's immunoscape? Cat Van den Bosch. Yeah, Van den Bosch. Yeah, he's just talking about the standard thing that uh, if you make a vaccine uh, and the, the viruses everywhere in a pandemic. Uh, uh, you, uh, a lot of the uh, viruses uh, are going to mutate uh, as they would anyway, uh, but uh, the, the ones that uh, have the greatest opportunity to keep replicating are the ones that have mutated. Uh, and so using the vaccine, any vaccine in, in the midst of a pandemic uh, naturally is going to uh, uh, favor uh, the uh, mutant uh, versions of the virus, some of which uh, could be uh, more uh, damaging than than one the, the vaccine is working against. Uh, so he's talking just about standard uh, 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 understanding of, of virology, uh, and uh, 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 people people have attacked him as uh, uh, trying to promote his own vaccine. But I, I think. His vaccine work uh, was for protecting chickens from tumor viruses, something like that. Uh, so he doesn't have a financial stake in this, but he he just understands virology enough that, that he says, why doesn't someone talk about why, why we don't start applying a standard virological principles to the use of these vaccines and stop using them, basically. Great stuff. Let's do uh, this last uh, one. Oh, go ahead. One question. Um, in terms of these tumor-causing viruses, do you think these viruses are anything special in terms of having a particular carcinogenic effect, or do you think they're just inhibiting respiration, which activates the stem cell system, and then um, basically as long as respiration is inhibited, these things tend to turn into tumors? Or are they actually truly carcinogenic viruses? Um, I think there are resistant individuals to to any any virus, but there are some viruses that, like plant plant and animal viruses, both some of them are are have have a greater impact on more individuals. So what would be the carcinogenic effect from, let's say, like a, one of the sarcoma viruses that the rumor is they used to kill uh, Hugo Chavez? I, I think that was a, a, a gene trans, uh, transmitted by a bacterium, uh, and uh, it uh, just creates a very intense inflammation. And I think the proper approach always is... A, to use all of the anti-inflammatory uh, tools that you have, uh, uh, high-sugar, high uh, uh, aspirin, progesterone, uh, vitamin D, uh, and antihistamines, anti-serotonin agents. Uh, I, I think if you flood the system with those, 
uh, you have a chance to uh, overcome uh, whatever pro-inflammatory thing you've introduced. So speaking of flooding the system, now that the the mRNA vaccine is essentially making turning people into these highly inflammatory producing machines, do you think that vaccine may lead to cancer for some people? Uh, yeah, very likely. Uh, uh, when you have tens of millions of people uh, subjected to it, uh, and already uh, uh, the, the reporting system uh, uh, for vaccine injury, uh, studies have shown that fewer than uh, one in a hundred uh, injuries has been reported historically, uh, and already uh, there are reports uh, of uh, more than 2,000 deaths, uh, several thousand major uh, uh, debilitating injuries, uh, and tens of thousands of, of other reactions. So uh, if you multiply those numbers by 100, uh, you see that lots of damage is being done. But specifically, the mRNA vaccine, unlike the others, which maybe trigger uh, an inflammatory reaction that may last a few days, even a month, this one seems to turn us into a machines for producing this inflammatory spike protein, and this would this will be ongoing. So, uh, it, it, yeah, uh, the ACE2 protein is our major uh, anti-inflammatory uh, system, uh, uh, right at the heart of the angiotensin system. It uh, destroys angiotensin. And as important as angiotensin is in all of the uh, inflammatory degenerative diseases, uh, uh, if you destroy the enzyme that destroys angiotensin, uh, that's just about the, the uh, most dangerous thing, thing you can do to knock out our uh, anti-inflammatory uh, basic system. Wow. Okay, so basically cancer, here we come. I mean, as far as the mRNA vaccines are concerned. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, all, all kinds of degenerative things. If people keep, keep producing the spike protein, that will keep knocking out the anti-inflammatory system uh, as long as, as the DNA and RNA uh, are in their system. So, so the rapid increase in the rates of, let's say, all kinds of degenerative disease, how do you think they'll explain this away? Simply not count the stats and conceal it? or well, say, Weren't they uh, uh, targeting VAERS and saying it was like, fo there was something I saw that they were saying that wasn't accurate or something. <laughs> uh, what? The VAERS, like, isn't that the d database of vaccine injury? I saw something from some uh, news and they were like, they were trying to um, say that that wasn't accurate. Like because it was there are so many injuries. Uh, uh, well, the the studies of uh, going around and looking at at doctors and hospitals and uh, looking up actual injuries, uh, they found that not one in a hundred of the vaccine-related injuries had been reported. Mm. Uh, so the even though they've paid out billions. In damages, it could have been hundreds of billions if people had been informed that they could and should report their death and injury. Because there's such specific criteria. Okay. Um, okay, let's, uh, I'm going to let you go, right? Let me read these uh, donations really fast. So the, uh, Peggy T., hey, Peggy, uh, Holly T., 
tea, um, should I read them out? Uh, Canadian, $10. Holly tea for $1.99. Janet Pack for $20. Thank you so much, Janet. Uh, Marado H for $7.99. I think Australian. Thank you so much. Um, oh, shoot. This went. Um, <laughs> Holly tea for another $3.99. Thank you so much, Holly. KT for $19.99. Thank you so much, uh, KT. Michelle for $50. Wow. Thank you so much, Michelle. Um, and Marado H for $5.99. Again, um, guys, give this episode a like. We have 132 people watching right now. Sincerely appreciate it. Uh, Ray, parting words until we catch up with you next month. Nothing special. Nothing special. <laughs> Let, let's do uh, one last kind of advertisement. Let's uh, let everybody know that they can get your newsletter uh, by email uh, for $28, sending it to newsletter at gmail.com. And they can also order a lot of your books. You know, I frequently uh, talk to people that aren't aware that you've ever written a book. <laughs> and so um, oh, 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 yeah. and so I, I Generative Energy is uh, obviously my favorite of these. Um, but uh, yeah, the, and you can order these books in digital form by also emailing Ray Pete's newsletter at Gmail. Can they also purchase physical copies of these still, right? Uh, yeah, several uh, of the issues are, are still available on paper. Awesome. And then one more plug for Kenogen, uh, email ca- uh, Catherine at Kenogen at gmail.com. And uh, Georgie, parting words for yourself, sir. I don't know. <laughs> I used to say stay sane, but <laughs> now at this point seems to be, I guess, start organizing. Turn off the TV, unplug the computer, and go outside. Even if you do nothing, I guess it will be more beneficial than what, we, that, than what we've been doing so far. Very good. Awesome. Guys, we have an amazing listenership. Uh, Thank you so much, Ray. Thank you so much, Georgie. And we will see you guys very soon. Take care. Have a good weekend and be safe. Peace out, everybody. Bye. Okay. Bye.